0: Hi and welcome to Designing the Future, I'm Jim Anderson, Multimedia Content Director here at Engineering.com and I'll be your host for a talk about the convergence between the engineering in the virtual world and the very real business of aerospace. Joining me is Dale Tutt, he's Vice President of Aerospace and Defense Industry for Siemens Digital Industry Software. Now, Dale is responsible for defining Siemens industry strategy for aerospace and defense customers. Prior to joining Siemens, Dale served as Engineering and Program Management VP at the Spaceship Company and held several engineering roles with Textron Aviation Cessna Aircraft. Dale was Chief Engineer and Program Director of the Scorpion Jet Program and was an engineer with Bombardier Learjet and General Dynamics Space Systems Division. Dale, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thank you, Jim, for having me today. I'm really looking forward
0: to it. Uh, Dale, uh, given that resume, it's probably safe to say, you know, the difference between a huck bolt and a skin mill. So. It, I th- I think you're ideally placed here to, to sort of answer this question. And just to kick this thing off, uh, what is the state of the aerospace industry in America and the world right now, as we stand with COVID and the, the inevitable fallout from that?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it, it, it is a, you know, definitely a tough situation for a lot of these companies, with the airlines, with airline travel being down. Uh, the suppliers, not only are the OEMs, but the suppliers are feeling the squeeze as well. And you know, with you know, production cuts and the rates and um, and, and you know so it's going to be you know, i think most of the studies most of the people are saying it's going to be a couple of years before we start to see a real significant upturn uh, it's going to be flat for a little while on the other side you know you have the defense uh, industry which is um has been relatively stable so far um and you know there are some you know there are some you know some forecasts uh, reductions in um you know in what the, the you know the defense spending might look like over the next couple of years but but I think that, you know, that's going to at least hold fairly stable, at least for the next couple of years. So, um, you know, a lot of the companies, uh, they're, you know, making adjustments and, and, you know, they're finding ways to move forward. I think, you know, learning how to work collaboratively has been a, has been at first a challenge, uh, but it is actually, I think, uh, really, in some respects, has driven a pretty good thing for the industry. So it's uh, it has been uh, it's definitely been a challenging time for a lot of companies.
0: Dale, aerospace is also unique in that it's it's an unusual combination of a, a complex product that requires a large supply chain. Uh, at the same time, programs operate for years, sometimes decades. I mean, over at uh, up in Seattle, you, you could have started your career as an engineer on the 747 program and retired on it. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's something unprecedented. Uh, but now, um, COVID, uh, other factors, what well, tends to shake this up is that how do you manage complex programs in a world in which suddenly... Your your timelines don't make any sense anymore. I mean, is, can you just sort of flip a switch and just rejig the operation?
1: Well, it, it does take some adjustment, um, and and I think you know you're right. These programs, you spend ten years developing the new product, and then you spend fifty years servicing and maybe you know uh, su- uh, supporting it. And and I've you know and you know you, you do you know these can become lifetime or uh, careers uh, for some of the folks, but. Uh, yeah, I think that one of the things that's being driven is that people are having to be a little bit more responsive uh, as we've gone into the remote work learning. Uh, I'm sorry, the remote work environment. Uh, that uh, you know, companies that you know that have the a lot of the digital processes in place and have have adopted uh, previously adopted some of the digital transformation. They already have the tools in place, the backbone in place. That's allowing them to take a look at their supply chain. Uh, their own Their own internal work processes, and and really make informed decisions about where they can make adjustments uh, and 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 to production rates to their plans, um, but also how they're staying in contact and working collaboratively with their employees. The, the ones that had the collaborative tools in place, um, they're finding that extending you know that they're extending what was previously mostly in their office are now being able to extend those collaborative work environments, uh, you know, securely to the, their employees. Uh, yeah, you know, alternate work environments, whether it's their home or you know a different office, and so uh, a lot of those practices that enable that collaboration across the uh, their their broader supply chain that were enabled by these digital tools are now really helping them work uh, in their uh, in this remote working environments.
0: Uh, Dale, there was a time in the industry when um, um, you had a power plant. You, you, you built an airframe to take advantage of the thing and then uh, Collins will sell your radio and Honeywell will sell your radar and we'll fit that in somehow. This, did, uh, has avionics taken over this industry?
1: Uh, to some extent, I think maybe to a large extent actually, uh, you know, it's certainly, you, you, you probably still design airplanes around the power plant. I mean, it's, uh, that, that <laughs> there's still the physics of that involved, but uh, the electrification has really driven a lot of changes in the industry uh, the need for more performance increasing your performance uh, has has driven a lot of electrical uh, systems i've even seen i think one of the trends that we saw when i was uh, you know when i was working uh, you know at other at other companies is just having the improved reliability that you would get maintainability with electromechanical systems versus just having a pure mechanical system and so uh, so there's been a lot of reasons uh, whether it's green propulsion or other reasons that you've seen a lot of electrification and there's a certainly an increasing use of software and so um you know so a lot of companies now are you know having to find solutions to to manage the complexity of these uh, these large electrical systems with a lot of software
0: now, it's um, uh, timelines in in on many large aerospace projects have become ridiculously long. It seems it can take a decade to get to get a paper airplane, you know, into the air. Uh, over your left shoulder is a model of Scorpion Jet. Now, you know, you, you were lead on that. Now, this was this, uh, as I recall it, Scorpion Jet was sort of doing the impossible, doing things that we did in the 1920s. I mean, you know, you go you go into the garage and you build the aircraft, and then and, and take it from there. So is is that one model for the future in the sense of if, can we go back to build it and then they will come?
1: Well, I, I would hope so. I, I think you know there 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 is a lot of there's a lot of that activity going on in the market today. Uh, you see the um, a lot of the urban air mobility, the air taxis, the EV toll, a lot of those companies that are starting up. Um, they I think that they see the demand that there's there is demand for a different way of transportation or mobility, uh, especially in these large urban areas, and they want it to be cleaner. And so uh, you know there's uh, you know a lot of these companies don't have a larger order book yet but but they're designing a building based on the assumption that they're going to uh, you know that they're if you build it they'll come and people will, will buy into it so it's, it's helpful that you have like uber uh, you know uber and you have other you know other companies that are really you know helping to drive the infrastructure pieces supports uh, these are these uh, these vehicles but uh, is uh, certainly, uh, I do think that you know, across the board, you're going to be able to see companies moving much faster, being much more agile in their product development, being able to, you know, you know, I, I think, you know, moving away from it takes us 10 to 15 years to to design and build an airplane. Uh, you're seeing with a lot of these startup companies, there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of new tools out there. Boeing T7, um, you know, when they developed that program. Yeah, you know, they went from a concept of first flight in about three years. And so uh, there are companies that are showing, uh, showing, showing how you can do it. And, and, and they're using a lot of the digital transformation uh, and the tools, uh, the digital tools to, to really support that.
0: Uh, Dylan, in the metal airframe world, I mean, you, you know, a couple of million parts, you're bucking rivets. That's a fairly conventional engineering process. You design parts, you design assemblies, you test, you integrate them, and, and you have an airplane. Uh, so much activity in the smaller firms now is based on composites, and even that has gone away from the, Well, we need a giant autoclave. I mean, you can get a plastic bag and a shock <laughs> vac. It seems these days, and you can you can be an airplane manufacturer. Is that changing <laughs> the way that you manage those programs and engineer them? Do you think?
1: Hey, a little bit. I mean, I think a lot of the concepts are largely the same. Um, you know, for for how you manage them, but. But it does, it, it, you know, the technology is changing the nature of your capital investments. And it's also changing, you know, the types and skill sets of people that you need. So uh, you move away from the metal design into composite design. You need new tools. And, and one of the things that we're, you know, we're seeing with a lot of the composite designs out there now is, you know, really being able to have a good digital thread and to help automate some of those processes. And so you design the parts in 3D space. You analyze them. With an integrated uh, analysis system, you're doing a lot of simulation around that piece of it, and then you can automate those processes of cutting the plies. Um, when you're projecting them, you're able to automate those, and then as you say, you go in into your autoclave, or or you know if you're doing an out autoclave process, um, it, it has really changed the way you build the parts and how you staff a program, and and I think it's you know it's it's uh, and there's some new technologies really helping uh, that advance, and then you know. And quite frankly, I think the next big step that we're going to see is this additive, is uh, really uh, the next, I guess, the transformative step. Um, so, you know, you've moved from, you know, metal metallic structures with you know, hundreds of parts, lots of assembly hours, to composite parts with, you know, maybe fewer parts, but still a fair amount of assembly and some, some expensive tooling to additive processes that uh, really, you know, take a full advantage of the digital, digital thread, digital processes. Um, and you can get rid of a lot of the tooling and get rid of a lot of the parts, and so uh, it, it's uh, we're we're seeing quite a transformation in the industry with how we're designing and building uh, new products.
0: Uh, Dale, as part of that transformation, uh, there there was a time when, of course, it was tooling was expensive, our prototyping was expensive. It basically meant that you had to get it right. On the drawing board before you really wanted to cut metal, but we're in a world now you mentioned with additive and, and and toolless construction. At this point, you could also iterate iterate your way to success at reasonable cost. Where's the balance between money and time spent upfront at the design level and just try 15 different versions of this and see what breaks?
1: Yeah, it's yeah. You know, there's a lot of different. There's a lot of different studies out there. A lot of different metrics. I, I think we used to see that you know a dollar invested you know, up front to make sure that you do it right, you know, would save you $30 down the road. And whatever the number is, the 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 ability to make changes early uh, is a lot cheaper uh, than, it, than they are when you make them later, especially when you're building parts. And so uh, we used to we used to joke about, you know, fly, fix, fly, that, you know, to your point, we'd build a test article, we'd start flying it, and then we'd go fix it, and then we'd fly it, and then we'd go fix it. And, we, and, and you just kind of got in this do loop. And what we're doing now with virtual tools, um, you know, the ability to simulate, to have this virtual integrated aircraft, to really look at all your systems, electrical systems, pneumatic, hydraulic, you name it, your propulsion systems, to be able to look at these systems and fully understand them. And so using, you know, using the simulation tools that are available to them, uh, you, you can virtually verify that your product. So we say now fly it before you build it. and And much even like we're even saying build it before you build it because the simulation tools, even for virtual manufacturing, to prove out your processes, to take the risk out of those late changes that are going to come throughout the program, you can reduce those number of changes. That reduces the risk of your program, and and then um, you know, and and you you, know, you do that before you invest tens of millions of dollars in new tooling and and in building a in building a prototype. So, uh, is a much different way of looking at it, and it's it doesn't just save you money it's saving you a lot of time. I mean, you know, think about how much time you spend on the change in today's world. It's, you know, if you can eliminate those changes, it, it takes, you know, months and years off of a program.
0: Uh, Dale, one of the aspects of a program management of course is, is is managing managing change, configuration change. I mean, the paperwork, it used to be a legendary cost and, and, and time killer. Uh, a very large maker of commercial airplanes with operations in Seattle and South Carolina who shall remain nameless. Uh, is, is sort of pioneering this notion of let's just assemble the aircraft, and we will outsource everything. We'll outsource every 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 assembly. Uh, uh, but ultimately, that creates a different kind of of management problem, doesn't it? I mean, how, how do you integrate something where you've got 15 different companies making major assemblies?
1: Yeah, no doubt. It's It, it does add a different uh, it, it, a different aspect. And so you have to be able to extend your processes out to your supply chain. You need to have the same level of transparency with your supply base that you have internally. So you need to know the status of those parts. But more importantly, you need to be able to do those verifications that they're actually going to fit together when they get there. And so to be able to bring them into digital mock-up and, and to be able to bring them in, you know, and into a very open environment where you can have a digital mock-up, your suppliers are using different tool sets, so you have to be flexible and open to be able to adapt that. It's not cost-effective to say, "Hey, Mr. Supplier, you've got to change to all of you got to change all your tools to match our tools." That's inefficient. And so, uh, so when you're managing that, you have to be able to extend your environment out into your supply chain, uh, really be able to pull their information in and have the same level of transparency. And when you improve that communication, it's not just a benefit to the OEM, it's a benefit to the supplier as well, because you're getting, as a supplier, you're getting a clearer understanding of the requirements from your OEM. You have a clearer understanding of their expectations. And because you have the good communication back and forth, you, that, that information is flowing up and down the supply chain. Everyone benefits in this digital world. So it's, it really is, a, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it does really change uh, how you interact and collaborate, and, and actually, quite frankly, changes the relationships that you have with your suppliers into more of a value uh, than an than adversarial uh, relationship.
0: Uh, Dale, there was a time when a great supplier was someone that simply delivered the part according to the drawing on time, on budget, and, and in spec but you're talking about a different kind of world now in which your design engineers are talking design engineers with an outside vendor entirely, and you're talking about working back and forth. I mean, is this is this the way we're gonna design aircraft in the future? Is it gonna reach a point where it's not a matter of buying that radio or buying that radar, it's it's talking to these people before they've even built the radar?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the great partnerships, they, they come from, uh, They really are coming from when the suppliers, the supply chain, are part of the entire process. And you're seeing this across the board. Um, And and I use an example of like Arion, uh, which is, you know, working on their business, uh, supersonic business jet. And, you know, as they've been announcing partners for that program, um, you know, they've, they are, those companies, they're not just building parts. They're, they're just not a commodity they are a part of that value chain. They're designing and building the parts. And so when you think about what it takes to take those requirements down and flow them down into your supply chain, just to do the design. So when you think about model-based systems engineering and, and really moving from system modeling to really how you're orchestrating that entire technical program across, throughout your, or, sorry, throughout your entire supply chain. Um, you know. So you have to be able to pass requirements, you have to be able to pass models and then you have to get in return. You have to get models and analysis, and 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 to be able to close that loop, even as you start doing the verification processes. So these suppliers are taking on a bigger chunk. They're not just producing a valve or a radio, as you mentioned. They're producing the entire flight control system, or the entire cockpit avionics system, or the entire fuel system, and and so it really has. You know, this has started. I mean, this has been going on for you know maybe a couple decades within the industry, but. Um, I think the tools that we have today now are really enabling these companies to collaborate much more effectively uh, with the systems engineering processes, a lot of the design processes, and then even extending into your manufacturing processes. So it's almost like acting like one big company now.
0: Uh, Dale, there was um, there were a couple of schools of thought about this new model of outsource most of the aircraft. Uh, one was that it's a de-risking strategy in the sense of you're pushing the engineering down to your, your, your down the supply chain at this point. All they have to do is to, to, is to deliver something that works and we're good to go. Uh, but there are also other kinds of risks that are introduced by decentralizing your operations to, to a global extent too, is it? Um, how does model-based systems engineering play into that? Is it can you, can you use it to mitigate risk in a way that you couldn't before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that, so, you know, there is that, you know, you do move, you take risk out of, you know, by moving that, Work down the supply chain, um, but you, the risk that you add back in is miscommunications, and you 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 know, and you know sometimes supply disruptions as well. But but you know those are you know sometimes unavoidable. But but I think I always think about some of the challenges that we've had, you know, that I've had personally experienced with. You know, how do you communicate with your suppliers? And so when we start thinking about model-based systems engineering, and as you model the and and you're thinking about your early conceptual design, you don't know what the airplane looks like yet. You're still looking at 40 different versions of it. And you're looking at this with a small team that also includes your suppliers. And so you're iterating through and you're making decisions. And so with the systems engineering processes, you know, the ability to extend those requirements down in a model-based way uh, is, is much more efficient and it's a much more timely way of communicating. And so you're not relying on ad hoc processes. You actually have a very rigorous process that's managed in within the workflows of your system. But instead of saying, okay, we've defined the requirements, now we're going to create a document and we're going to send a document out to the supplier and he's going to respond to that document with another document. And then I'm going to bring these two documents together. And go, okay. Yeah, I guess I did everything. Um, you know, now you're doing it where you're, you're passing requirements, model-based requirements to your supplier. They have, you know, their transparency and visibility. If they have a question, they can, you know, they can ask a question. And you're speeding up those iterations, you know, it's, instead of saying, okay, send us a document. We're going to respond with questions. I mean, this is a 10-week process, if you're lucky. And now you're coming in and you can have almost instantaneous communication because people are working in this collaborative environment. And um, you're able to carve off a section of the airplane and say, hey, "Here, go," you know, with uh, with your systems engineering tools, you're able to, to uh, you know, say, "Hey, here, go work on this piece of it." So I think you really mitigate a lot of those risks of those miscommunications that are happening. Those miscommunications are the things that are going to cost you a lot of money down the road because, you know, unfortunately, they may not manifest themselves for three or four years once you get into flight tests or. Maybe, you know, once you start, when you start building the airplane and you start to notice that the airplane chunks don't come together, they don't fit together. So uh, it really does accelerate that and help with that communication up front, reducing those risks.
0: Uh, Dale, in manufacturing on the automotive side, which was my, my primary experience, we used to talk about drawings going through the alphabet. Now, uh, change is good because it makes your product better, but change yeah. is also bad in a sense of uh, we used to have difficulties of making sure that we were actually making the part that we were ordering because we, yeah. there's a time lag in the system between between the change that you implement in pa- on paper and the change you implement on the line. Is that also true in aerospace?
1: Absolutely. I, I think it's it's maybe on a little bit of a different scale sometimes, but but we see the same problems. It's you you, you release a drawing and then you know everyone else you know because. You know this whole airplane doesn't mature at the same pace, everyone else starts releasing drawings. And, and it's not uncommon that by the time you get done and you really move into certification that, that you've used up a fairly significant chunk of the alphabet on drawing revisions. And and that costs you a lot of money throughout the process. And and it does you know the great example that you just used there, uh, you ordered Rev D. The problem is the design's not Rev E. And and you know by the time the part shows up, that's when you start to realize that it's the wrong part. And so Uh, Being able to improve first-pass yield, so we were talking about this virtual verification earlier and some of the risks that come with that. We're talking about the communication issues that we can solve with some of the model-based systems engineering processes that we're using. Um, That all, you know, when you can solve those problems, that all really improves your first-pass yield on your design. You know, we talk about first-pass yield a lot in the manufacturing sense of building it right. But now we're starting to have the conversation of first-pass yield with the design, because the design tools are there, the systems the engineering tools are there, to really be able to to, to to take those challenges, those changes out and get the design right the first time before you start building it. So, uh, really, uh, you know, it has it, it has uh, we have a lot of new tools available to us to to really help us with those with those processes now.
0: Uh, Dale, in in consumer goods, in the automotive industry in particular, uh, MRO is not as much of a factor as it is in other industries. You have a service parts organization and you can essentially develop your product at that point, and then you you have a supply chain that will feed the MRO community with enough enough parts to support that you can do it. Uh, Aerospace is different. This is safety critical. Uh, yep. it's, can, can the same systems we're talking about, digital systems, also be applied in the MRO space?
1: Absolutely. I think that, and you know, we're 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 seeing a lot of that today as well. That you we talk a lot about as designed, as built, as delivered, but then you have to extend that into as maintained and being able to extend those philosophies, those digital philosophies, and use a model-based product support system it's helping companies do a much better job of planning for their logistics and it's doing a much better job of planning for their maintenance so um you know so as you say i mean you know uh, we said earlier the um, you know the life cycle of these airplanes might be 50 years and in the commercial aviation world you know it's kind of like cars you know you send the airplane away you may never see it again so as the oem you have to support an airplane that you don't really see and so if you have a mod kit or you have something that comes out, you need to address a safety issue or uh, some other field issue you're finding, um, that you have to be able to provide mod kits that service and support those airplanes. And so, uh, so for big customers, you if they think about like the U S air force um, looking at, they know what their airplane configurations are. And if you can maintain those airplane configurations by tail number in a digital world, when you have to design a mod kit i want to put a new capability on i have a new sensor that i want to put on this airplane it's, it's 20 years old the airplane is 20 years old you now have a definition of all of those parts that you can use uh, i'm sorry of those airplanes that you can use to really make sure that when you send that mod kit out the field it's actually going to work and so these tools that we're talking about uh, they do apply and another great example i'll just use real quick we talk a lot about simulating the manufacturing environment. So when you're setting up your manufacturing line, we're talking about simulating that manufacturing environment. We have customers that are doing exactly the same thing with their support systems. They're they're simulating their support, their product support, um, before they actually go in and make those commitments to doing that work. And and as a result, they're getting through those maintenance cycles. Um, you know, I don't know, twice as fast. Maybe that's a bit much, but. But they're getting through them much quicker, and, and they have a much better understanding of how they're going to work.
0: Dale, uh, is there an opportunity to, for the MRO community to feed information back in a more, a more useful way now, uh, right up the chain to the manufacturer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we talk, a lot about, we talk a lot about IoT and the ability to bring that information back, the data analytics back. And so the tools are now in place that as the airplanes are out flying in the field or they're out in the field, that you can transmit a lot of that data back. And then the OEM can use that information to um, update their their digital twin and actually understand how their products are performing. And, And then they're able to optimize whatever maintenance operations that they're looking to get. So that information that's being fed back to the OEM, it comes back to the customer in the form of uh, we're able to reduce maintenance cycles. Maybe we're able to go on unconditioned maintenance, or even looking start to look at predictive health monitoring. And so, having that information, feeding it back to the OEM, uh, you know, and, and into the digital twin, uh, you're starting to get a much better uh, maintenance process. And so, you know, the net result for the customers is uh, they're they're having a lower cost of operations because they're more optimized in the range operations. And maybe even better, they're getting better availability. They're able to fly their products when they want to go fly it. And so it, uh, uh, it really does, uh, you know, it, the benefits are throughout the entire uh, uh, life, training, uh, life cycle of the products.
0: Dale, this holistic approach to, to using software in the way, ways that you're talking about, um, who owns the IP? If I, if I want Spirit to make the fuselage for, my, for me or, or Mitsubishi or something at this point, essentially uh, at some point someone owns that data.
1: Yeah, what we usually see is that there's uh, that's driven as much by contractual uh, requirements as anything else. Um, I, I guess the beauty of it is, and I'm going to speak from an engineering standpoint, maybe not a contracts guy standpoint at this point, is uh, once you're in the digital world, it doesn't matter who owns it because it's available to everybody. So if you're the OEM and you have you know, other companies making, uh, if you have spirit making parts, uh, as long as you have access to the data and can support those products as the OAM, you're in pretty good shape. Now, you, there's obviously contractual requirements that are behind all of that. But, but from a digital perspective and, and from the, you know, the usefulness of it, it's in the environment you're able to use it and, and you, you, you're able to support your customers as you need to support them.
0: Uh, you mentioned briefly before the flying taxis, the new sort of cottage industry evolving out of electric VTOL products, this kind of thing. Uh, the conventional wisdom from the mass production side that I'm most, most familiar with automotive is that... Um, where these things would be deployed by the thousands. Talk about production runs, which are more automotive in scale than aerospace. So the question is: is that Are you going to be able to design and make products using aerospace industry traditional techniques, or will it require a Toyota, Volkswagen, General Motors way of thinking about the industry?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably going to be a blending, uh, depending on what the final production rates look like. But I mean, you know, when you start talking about, you know, you look at Boeing and Airbus and you know they can produce 40 50 airplanes a month uh, we're certainly still talking numbers larger than that i mean i think you know we're we're talking hundreds of taxis a month and so uh, what these companies are looking at is they are looking at what is going on in the automotive world and they're bringing that uh, the um, the automation and some of that same technology into their production lines um but there are companies like hyundai and uh that, that have announced their own urban air mobility project and i mean it's you know, quite visionary when you see, look at what they've done with, you know, a ground vehicle to uh, infrastructure to the air vehicle. But uh, um, but it is a lot of the same, uh, you know, there will be a lot of automotive uh, manufacturing processes that really need to flow into manuf- uh, to the aerospace side to, to get the production rates that you want to. So I, I think the companies can adjust. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And, and the tools are out there for them to do that.
0: Can you take the same software, the same techniques, the same management technologies you're talking about and apply them equally to the military and civilian aerospace realm because there, there, are, there are some issues. Uh, I know some F-35 vendors I've met, for example, where uh, the, the cost of ITAR compliance, the cost basically of segregating production of, of, of essentially security uh, is sort of a hidden cost in the process.
1: Yeah, I think the underlying tools are are the same, and the underlying solutions are the same. I mean, it, it, when you're building, designing, and building an airplane, uh, you know a lot of the same physics are involved, and a lot of the same tool sets are involved. And within the digital environment, we we do see that, um, or I'm sorry, we're able to provide that you know that security, uh, those uh, the part the right partitions that you know to to be able to um, protect your IP to be able to protect it, classified, unclassified, because we're working in a global environment now when you've passed that, when you're working with a, a supplier in another country that you have export uh, export compliance that you need to, to uh, you know, to be aware of. And so you're able to automate a lot of that checking uh, so that when someone in another country tries to open a document, they're, they're saying, hey, okay, is this the right person? And and they won't let you have access to the data. So you're able to. We're able to protect that data in a much different way than we were even three to five years ago. And so whether you're in a commercial environment or a military environment, uh, a lot of the same philosophies apply. There's obviously a higher level security that you have to maintain, um, but the tools, the underlying tools, that uh, they're in the same system. So um, you know, so we're able to see a lot of the same you know, application of the same tools across, uh, you know, uh, commercial and defense uh, programs.
0: Oh, oh, one last question for you then. Um, on, on the Scorpion Jet program, you you folks basically threw the rule book out and brought a product to market successfully much faster than, than industry standard, you know, in ways that were frankly thought by many to be impossible. In the future, looking past COVID at this point, using simulation digital twin using this holistic approach to software control at the front end of the process is this the new model for airspace the future are we going to come to market faster
1: i I believe so it's the name of the game is going to be you had to get to market faster than the next guy with a safe and reliable product and and you have to do it in a cost effective way. And so I I think that there's so much innovation going on and we talked about air taxis, but it's going on in space. It's going on everywhere. I mean, you you have startups talking about supersonic jets. I mean, so it's in every space, every area that we're talking about, we're seeing uh, all this innovation. So I think that the companies that are really embracing this digital transformation and, and, and doing this in the virtual world, they're going to start seeing the transformation results. And, you know, the first time you do it, you know, as you adopt these new practices, maybe you save 20 to 30%. The price. And then the next time you've learned, so now you save another 20% and it just starts to feed on itself. And after time, you, you're, you have really made major changes in the organization. And so um, I think these models of going really fast, um, being much more collaborative, working much more concurrently, being able to virtually verify both from, uh, you know, your product performance as well as how you're building it. Um, You know, we're going to see new products introduced at a much faster pace than we have in the past.
0: Dale Tutt, Vice President of Aerospace and Defense Industry for Siemens Digital Industry Software. Thanks for being on the program. All right, thank you
1: very much, appreciate it.
0: And thank you everyone for joining us and see you next time on Designing the Future.